With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. It's man to man coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now your host, Mike Florio. Wednesday edition of PFT PM. Looking ahead a little bit to week 11. Week 11 should be a decent week. It's been an eventful week so far. Tuesday, my goodness. We knew the Le'Veon Bell decision was going to come to a head. We didn't know that there was going to be a decision regarding whether or not the NFL would be playing a football game in Mexico City or Los Angeles. I'll have a few things to say about that. I'll answer some of your questions. No interview today. We had Stefan Diggs yesterday. And I'll probably do another one tomorrow because Friday is going to be a travel day heading up to New York for the weekend. This is the weekend that the family goes with me. We stay in New York City, going to SNL on Saturday night. I think I mentioned that yesterday. Steve Carell is the host. And uh, pre-Thanksgiving jaunt. So we'll try to get the PFTPMs in this week. I I can't guarantee I'm going to do one tomorrow, but the spirit is willing. We'll see whether or not the flesh is weak. In Pittsburgh, I saw what was just posted at PFT. Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette says that Steelers players have plundered Le'Veon Bell's locker now that he's not coming back. And I'll tell you this, and I've observed this in a variety of contexts. No matter how much money someone has, no matter how easily they can afford to buy anything they would want, there is always a lure to get stuff for free. When we go to the league meetings, Florida, Arizona, wherever they have them, every year it's a different place, but it kind of has a rotation to it. There's always a room set up like Nike or something like that where there's free stuff for the billionaires who are there at the meetings. And there's no site like a billionaire carrying as many bags as he can of free shoes and free stuff, even though, right, billionaire could afford millions of times over those items that he's carrying. There's still something about getting stuff for free that we all like. We love it. Stuff for free. So free stuff flowing from Le'Veon Bell's locker. And it's no skin off his nose. And the more I think about this, the more I believe that there is a door number two that Le'Veon Bell and his agent know about. How can there not be? How can you justify walking away from $14.5 million? And I don't think the plan as of early September was to not play this year. I think it evolved over time and ultimately became a no-brainer. The final nail in the coffin, as we said on PFT Live yesterday and today, the Des Bryant torn Achilles tendon on the second day of practice. Healthy, unfettered, unrestricted free agent subject to the transition tag, which still allows Le'Veon Bell to go out and get the highest possible offer from a team. It would be malpractice, in my opinion, for his agent to not know what another team will offer. And there are ways to find out This is where relationships between agents and executives founded on trust can result in a very clear understanding of what is available, an understanding that the agent is not going to burn the executive by running his or her mouth about the fact that there were communications and that the player is not going to run his mouth to anyone about knowing 
that the Jets, for example, are going to pay Le'Veon Bell, and the executive honors the wink and the nod and doesn't renege on the agent when the time comes to get the deal done. How could you not? We're talking about the highest stakes of poker imaginable. How do you walk from 14 and a half? How do you ultimately walk from six? The six that you would have made over the rest of the year if you don't have a damn good idea what's going to be out there. So I think it's the Jets. For me, it would be the Jets or the field. Maybe the Jets and the Colts. I just don't see the Colts doing it. I think it's going to be the Jets. They've got a quarterback operating under his rookie contract. They've got a ton of cap space. They've got a ton of cash. Mike McCagnan, the GM, already has come out and said, hey, we're going to be players in free agency next year. I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers get into it. Wouldn't Imagine Le'Veon Bell for the remainder of his prime with Aaron Rodgers for the remainder of his career. Imagine that one. Now, could they pull it off? Look, you can pull off anything if you want to. You can pull it off. They could do it. They got a bunch of young receivers who have stepped up under rookie contracts. They could say, see you later, Randall Cobb. See you later, Devontae Adams. Although they just signed Adams last year, there could be some cap consequences to moving on from Adams. But they could do it if they really wanted to. Somebody's going to do it. And I think that Adisa Bakari, who represents Le'Veon Bell, already has a pretty good idea of what is coming. And you don't give up that $14.5 million without having a good idea of what is looming out there. You know, we've said plenty about this Mexico City decision, and, you know, I've talked to some people about it, trying to refine my take. I'm kind of torn on this one. I think reasonable minds may differ on how to properly assess this. And I'm struggling with whether and to what extent the NFL deserves criticism for how it handled the L.A.-Mexico City situation. On one hand, it worked out. The NFL had a near miss, but it was a miss. It was close. It was dicey. There was a sudden burst of activity and wringing of hands and gnashing of teeth and threats being made about players not playing in the game, and the NFL ultimately did the right thing. But it's kind of the only thing. What other alternative did the league have? Just let it ride, let it roll, hope that it all works out, hope that they can bring in some sod, some local sod in Mexico City, and somehow make chicken salad out of that horrendous surface. But regardless of whether or not we criticize the NFL for getting within six days of what would have been a disastrous outcome for everyone involved. I, I still have a problem with the fact that I feel like the flowchart wasn't engaged. I feel like they weren't as proactive as they could have been about making sure that the surface is in a state where it can be made to be playable at an NFL level fairly quickly. Now, I'm told that there were regular reports that were being provided to the league since September about the quality of the field and that the October 11 Shakira concert was followed by a concert November 7 with the, I assume, as I understand it, kind of Mexican equivalent of MTV. They had a 25-year anniversary or something along those lines. They had a concert. There were a lot of people on the field. And it was after that, followed by a soccer match three days later on the 10th of November, that resulted in the current state of the field as of Sunday, the 11th of November. And it was Monday when the league 
had inspections and meetings and within 24 hours after starting that process came to the conclusion we can't play on this field. If that's the normal procedure, receive regular reports and then a week before the game go inspect whether or not it's up to snuff, that needs to change. The inspections need to happen sooner. There needs to be an effort to be more involved. And ideally, you got to be able to say, if push comes to shove, cancel everything. If you want to have an NFL game here, you got two choices. Cancel everything for the next month and turn the keys over to us, or we are relocating this game. So I think that the near miss should be used by the NFL as a case study in coming up with other ways to avoid future near misses. Because this is still not an ideal outcome. It's not ideal to know six days in advance that the Chiefs are going to be going to L.A. instead of Mexico City. It's not ideal for the fans who were planning to go to Mexico City to find out six days in advance. They need to cancel those plans, and if they want to see this game in person, they need to go to L.A. instead. It's not ideal for ESPN, which presumably was already, I don't know this, but, I mean, where was Monday Night Football this week? It was in Santa Clara. I mean, Mexico City is still a long haul from, I think it's like 2,000 miles, because it's like 1,500 from L.A., And as you drive down there, I I don't know how long it's going to take to get the trucks down there and get the stuff there. ESPN may have had already other stuff in place. I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And whatever they have there, now they have to get to L.A. I mean, it's not ideal to find out six days beforehand that they have decided to pull the plug. But even though the NFL did the right thing under difficult circumstances now, the lesson from this should be, in the future, this all needs to come to a head earlier. And if it means major surgery at the site, putting down field turf, putting down new sod, making it NFL quality, doing whatever it takes. If you're going to play these games in other countries at stadiums that aren't typically used for NFL games, then you have to do something more than get together a week before the game is due to begin and say, is it good or is it not good? Are we playing or are we not playing? I don't think that's nearly good enough. And hopefully that's what the league will learn from. And I'm not just complaining for the sake of complaining. The NFL deserves to be applauded for not going forward with its plan to play that game. And yesterday it was a shefty report that the NFL is determined to play that game. It's good that they backed off. And my guess is there was yelling and screaming. My guess is that the commissioner was pissed off at somebody. As I understand it, Mark Waller is the person who is ultimately in charge of the international effort. And it wouldn't surprise me if Mark Waller ends up not being in charge of the international effort within the next three to six months after the dust settles. And it's not obvious that he got pushed out because of the way he handled it. Because if you do that, then you acknowledge that that it was mishandled. It's kind of a weird, messed up way of accountability externally. Like internally, there's accountability. But we do it in a way that from an outsider's perspective, it's not going to be obvious that someone got pushed out because they screwed up in an irreversible way. So, however it plays out, I don't think it was handled the right way. I think in the future, these efforts to inspect and monitor need to be more aggressive. They need to come earlier. And if you have to say to the entity that owns and operates the stadium, if you want to host an NFL game here, you have to ensure that there will be no other activity on that field for a month, then so be it. And if that doesn't work, then you don't get a game. You don't get an NFL game. If you want to have seven soccer matches this month, if you want to have three concerts this month, then you're making your choice. 
But if you want an NFL game, you got to do it our way. And if you're going to have that many events, put down field turf. I know they don't like playing soccer on field turf. Well, okay, then don't host NFL games, period. Because the integrity of the game and the safety of the players are the paramount concerns here. I've seen safety of the players was the top concern. Integrity of the game is a concern as well. Every game should be played on a surf that is roughly surface that is roughly comparable to every other NFL stadium. And, and we know that's not completely true because there are some, some stadiums where it's not great. And I saw the Michael Wilbon take that the NFL players are being divas because they have crappy fields they play on now. I, I, really? Have you not seen the photographs of the playing field? At Mexico City? The players aren't being divas. Look, here's the thing that is impossible to reconcile. And this has threads that run back to Le'Veon Bell as well. If we accept, if, if this isn't just lip service, that the NFL gives a crap about player health and safety, and that the fans and the media understand that player health and safety is a paramount concern that cannot be undermined in any way. If, if, if that's just something other than words, if that's real, then you can't reconcile that with, oh, let him go out and play on a crap field. Or, oh, Le'Veon Bell, oh, that selfish bastard, he should show up and play and entertain us, even though he's subjecting himself to, to the kind of injury risk that could derail his career and leave him with only, I know, only $14.5 million. I mean, it's it's all a matter of degree. I know $14.5 million is a ton of money, but when you're looking at a play that involves $40 million fully guaranteed and $70 or $80 million on a four-year deal, it, there's a different vibe there. There's a different consideration. And if we care about health and safety, we should have the flexibility to understand that, yes, the players should expect to be able to play on a field that is safe. And yes, players who choose to withhold services, they need to be the recipient of some sympathy, empathy, whatever pathy, anything other than apathy regarding their desire to protect themselves and limit their exposure to injury until they get paid what they think they deserve. So those are the big things going on. It's Wednesday, which means practice is happening, press conferences. See, Jim Harbaugh said that Frank Gore is his favorite player that he's ever coached. Joey Bosa is back at practice. JPP's pissed off because he never heard from the Giants after he was traded to the Buccaneers. So, you know, th- this is the day of the week where we start to hear from players about the upcoming games. We find out who's practicing, who's not practicing, and everything ramps up toward week 11. But the big news continues to be the aftermath of the Le'Veon Bell decision not to show up and ultimately where he plays next year and also the Mexico City near miss and how to improve on that moving forward. I I do want to mention one last thing, the Ryan Switzer tweet about being lucky to be out of Oakland. How lucky was I that the Steelers came and got me from where I was? That was in response to a fan on Twitter saying that the Steelers are lucky to have you. And look, I I know it's not unpopular at this point to bash the Raiders, and there are plenty of Raider fans who get upset about the stories and the takes and the arguments about the state of the organization right now, but has there been a team that has disintegrated more quickly than the Raiders? I thought the Bills were falling apart as fast as any team I had seen. 
the Raiders have gone from fringe playoff contender to number one pick in the draft, and I think they want it. I think at this point, just fold the tents, just give up, figure out which guys on the team you'll want for next year, evaluate young players, and set about trying to fix it. But, you know, the one thing I saw in the past couple of days that really alarmed me, John Gruden, when he was with ESPN, saying that Nathan Peterman was the most pro-ready quarterback in the 2017 draft. Nathan Peterman, not Patrick Mahomes, not Deshaun Watson, not Mitchell Trubisky, Nathan Peterman. It'll be interesting to see if the Bills claim Nathan Peterman on waivers. They'll have dibs over anyone else. If someone else gets him, that means the Raiders didn't make a claim because they are in the number one spot because they're only team with one loss. But if John Gruden feels that way about Nathan Peterman, bring him to Oakland. Dust him off. Let's see what we got. But if that's how he evaluates quarterbacks, we're going to trust him to draft a quarterback? And people have said to me, oh, Reggie McKenzie's the GM. He runs the draft. Yeah, right. First of all, Reggie McKenzie ain't going to be there. I'd be shocked if Reggie McKenzie is there. The way that Mark Davis threw McKenzie under the bus when talking about the disintegration of the roster, whatever the word was that he used, it wasn't a flattering word for Reggie McKenzie and what's happened to the team over the last few years on McKenzie's watch. Somebody's going to be in there helping John Gruden, setting the table for John Gruden. And I know Bruce Allen in the past has denied it. Okay, people deny a lot of things that they ultimately do. But I think Gruden's going to get his person in there to run the team to run the and, and not I mean Gruden runs the team but somebody has to be the GM Gruden's the guy who's calling the big shots though and we'll see if when the time comes for Gruden the coach to be Gruden the personnel executive can he pick the right players all right let's see what questions we have here PFTPM posse loaded up the cannon yesterday I'm scrolling. There it is. There's the uh, 48. Let's answer as many as we can. Man of Water 3615. Could you see the Seahawks potentially trading Russell Wilson if he decides to play hardball with his next contract? If so, would a team like the Chargers be in play, maybe for Derwin James and Melvin Ingram? I do know this about Russell Wilson. I know that back when other quarterbacks were getting contracts in the offseason, his mindset was to finish his current deal and to force his way to free agency. Well, force his way to the franchise tag and go year to year under the franchise tag and see what happens. Because last time around, even though he only did a four-year extension, which is smart, I think there was regret about the value of the extension. Now, Wilson has been not as big a piece of the offense as in the past, and maybe part of that's deliberate, I don't know. But I I could see this not ending well for the Seahawks and for Russell Wilson, because I think Russell Wilson is determined to take, and it's going to be hard to do because of Go Hawks, and he comes off as a nice guy, and he's very image conscious. I don't know how you can rectify and reconcile that with deciding to go grab every dollar. But I think his agent is going to push him hard to go grab every dollar. And also, we don't know who the owner's going to be. We don't know what the mindset of the owner is going to be. We don't know if the owner's going to want to keep the coaching staff and the front office in place. Maybe whoever ends up owning and running the team isn't going to want Russell Wilson. But 
any team that is going to be looking for a franchise quarterback, yeah, I could see the Chargers in play if it comes to that. I just think as of right now, we don't know what's, where it's going to go. But what we do know is there's one more year after this year under contract for Russell Wilson. And then after that, it would be two years of franchise tag. And then comes year three. And, you know, quarterbacks aren't going to have that Le'Veon Bell exception available where you can just sit out the second year of the tag and then put the team in a tough spot. That becomes relevant to non-quarterbacks because that third tag is the average of the five highest-paid quarterbacks in the in the NFL. That's that's just what it is. It's the five highest-paid players at the highest-paid position in the NFL, which is always going to be quarterback. So if you're not a quarterback, you really put the team in a spot for that third tag, a tough spot, a spot where they can't use that tag. But if you're a quarterback, you need to play that second year in order to have earnings that when you make it 1.44, 44% times what you made last year, that number becomes astronomical. That's why Washington didn't tag Kirk Cousins a third time. Let me make sure I'm explaining this clearly because I feel like I'm not. With a quarterback, you have your initial franchise tender. You have a 20% raise for year two. You've got to show up and cash those checks and make that money. So when you get the 44% raise year three, which is one of the alternative formulas for determining the third franchise tag. It's the higher of the average of the five highest paid players at the highest paid position or a 44% increase over what you made under the second tag. You show up and play under the second tag, you get a 44% raise over the 20% raise of your first franchise tag. And it usually ends up being a huge number. So for Wilson, if he's going to play that game, he needs to play. So don't worry about, if you're a Seahawks fan, Russell Wilson sitting out a full year. He wouldn't do that. It it makes it harder for him to squeeze the Seahawks the way that he would need to in order to get to the open market under the third year of his tag. But he'd still be a young guy. He's still got a lot of football left. He told me last year he wants to play until he's 45. So it's something to keep an eye on. Because it could be that at some point there is a separation between the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. Boy, that's only one question. I got to move a little faster here. Birthday boy at one Burnman wants to know how I feel about the loss of Cooper Cup with the Rams. I, I mean, look, it's inevitable you're going to have an injury, and I think the Rams handled his departure well when he was banged up with a an MCL sprain. I think it was earlier this year. You've still got Brandon Cooks. You've still got Robert Woods. You've still got Todd Gurley. You've still got Jared Goff. And then you've got next man up. And I don't want to be heartless here, but that's how it works. They don't pause the season until the guy's able to come back and play. you got to line somebody up. And that risk is there for every team. Teron Armstead's going to miss time with the Saints. Injuries are going to happen. You have to be extremely lucky to make it through a full season without losing a key player for all or part of the season. And when you do, can you coach up the replacement? Did you have enough cap money around so the replacement is somebody who is decent and not just a street-free agent that you hope can step up in a pinch? That's been the problem for the Vikings this year. They got too much money spread out around too many stars so they don't have the depth that they need. And the Rams may have that issue. You got to rely on your depth to step up and you've paid a lot of guys. So, look, I think the Rams are still going to be good because I think Sean McVay is going to find a way to get the most out of the offense even if Cup isn't there. But the next injury becomes more problematic. 
And will there be a next injury? I don't know. But if I'm a Rams fan, I'm I'm suddenly very nervous every time I watch them play. And every time I see the guy with the ball go into a scrum of bodies, I hope he gets up and walks back to the huddle. PFTPM Posse says, I owe Shane Falco an apology as Nathan Peterman would be the first replacement player to get cut. Yeah. I, I, I was asked yesterday to name five quarterbacks worth worse than Nathan Peterman, and Shane Falco was one of them. Still interested to see if the Raiders end up adding Nathan Peterman based upon what John Gruden thought of him. J. Randall, 15, you mentioned the possibility of a class action lawsuit against the Colts for misleading season ticket holders about Andrew Luck last year. Can you envision a day where fantasy football players or gamblers sue a player slash team like Bell for saying he would play and not play? No. No, because there's no duty there to, to give an honest and truthful information. You can't, you can't claim fraud if a guy leads people to believe he's going to play and then doesn't. That's just part of the risk you take. And for a gambler, I guess if you bet on the Steelers to win the Super Bowl under the assumption that Le'Veon Bell is going to show up, it's also tenuous and speculative. The guy could get injured the first day back. So, no, there'd never be any type of liability like that. At the Real Forno, would Madden benefit from having other developers make video games for the NFL? I feel like the exclusive deal has held them back. I, I felt that way for a while, and I got to the point where I decided, you know what, I can either accept it and enjoy what I have, or I can rebel and not buy the game or not play the game. What would happen is I'd always buy it, and then I'd say, I don't really like it. Until a few years ago, I, I decided, you know what, it's pretty good now. But would it be better with competition? Who isn't better with competition? And that's what caused the current situation 10, 12 years ago. NFL 2K5 with T.O. on the cover. And they sold it for like $19.99 or something like that. That's when the folks at EA said, all right, well, we can't kill them, so we're going to buy exclusivity. That's how we kill them. Exclusivity with the NFL. They can continue to make it, but they can have logos and likenesses. And it worked. So as long as EA continues to pay whatever windfall it's paying for the privilege of having the exclusive license of the NFL and the NFLPA, it will continue. And would the NFL be better? See, that's the thing. EA is better off this way because it doesn't have competition. Would the NFL be better off if it did not accept a giant pile of money from EA and instead had an environment where there was competition among two companies to make the best football video game experience possible. That would help the NFL. That would get more kids playing it. However good Madden is, it could be better. Anything can be better, and competition makes it better. And I think the NFL, I don't know how much money it's made over the years off of this exclusive Madden arrangement, probably enough to justify doing it, but from the standpoint of having a very valuable propaganda tool that maybe would attract kids' attention other than Fortnite or Call of Duty or whatever else is out there, Red Dead Redemption 2, the better the game, the more people are going to play it. And the better off you are from the standpoint of getting young fans hooked on the NFL. Terry Gensler, should the NFL allow a retroactive IR like baseball does with the disabled list, example being Eric Berry, after four inactive weeks, can he be placed on the IR with those four weeks counting toward the eight-week activation mark to be activated later in the season? I mean, it really doesn't matter because you're still being carried on the roster. And I guess what you're saying is if you would do it retroactively, then he goes off the roster for four weeks, and then you can bring him back. 
I guess that wouldn't hurt. And they've shown some creativity here with the IR rules in recent years. It wouldn't hurt, but um, it, look, there's 46 guys who dress. We talked about this yesterday. 53 guys on the roster, 46 guys who dress. There's always going to be seven guys who don't dress. And you carry a guy, hopeful that he'll be able to play. And if he can play, he plays. If he can't, he can't. And that's just part of the reality of football. Sometimes you know when a guy's going to be ready, and sometimes you don't. Sean Alvishire, do you think Hugh Jackson's pitch to Marvin Lewis to become assistant to the assistant, you mean special assistant to the head coach, was whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I would not do that thing. That's taking the, the office connection next level. Look, I still think Hugh Jackson's going to be very good as an assistant. I think he has been very good as an assistant. I think it will help the Bengals. I just don't want another fan base to be subjected to Hugh Jackson as a head coach. Because if he does well enough as an assistant, there may be some team out there that thinks, yeah, maybe he, maybe the third time will be a charm. It won't be. Recliner QB, the Dallas Cowboys have been largely irrelevant for the last 25 years, other than an occasional season. So how do they remain a ratings juggernaut? Why can't other teams achieve the same or similar results, especially since it doesn't require fielding a competitive team? I just think that in the 70s, the whole concept of America's team, that shiny blue helmet, cowboy, there's, you know, the name resonates, the, the uniform resonates, the, the, and I think high profile begets high profile, right? We're conditioned to think that there's something special about the Dallas Cowboys, and they either attract fans or they attract detractors. There's no middle ground. Nobody is ambivalent about the Dallas Cowboys, and it keeps them relevant even when they're not good enough to be relevant. It's, it's a marketing genius, and it dates back to the years before Jerry Jones owned the team, and they won enough in the 90s that it continues now. Now, if they continue to be mediocre, would they, would they fall off? I mean, look how quickly the Cardinals, who were developing a strong national brand, have disappeared. But there's, something about, there's just something about the Cowboys. There's something about that clean, silver look with that blue star. There's just something about it, and it works. And Jerry Jones, for all of his flaws as a football person, as a business person, he has maximized the value of the team, the revenue of the team, and everything about the team. And the fact that they continue to be that popular and that financially viable at a time when the team itself isn't, that's further testament to what Jerry Jones has been able to do. At the Real Forno, did the win Sunday night at Philly, take Jason Garrett off the hot seat in Jerry's mind, or is he still there? I think if he doesn't make the playoffs, he's gone. It was a reprieve. If it had been a blowout loss like I thought it was going to be, I think Jason Garrett could have gotten blown out the next day. Clive Billingsley, what would it take for ESPN to hire an entirely different Monday night football announcing crew? Booger is fine, but the mobile is a joke. I'd rather have Michael Buffer in the booth than Tessator. Worst of it is Jason Witten, who I assume has a multi-year contract Seriously, what will it take? Here's what I think will happen. And I'm trying to avoid any gratuitous criticism of the Monday Night Football crew. I've said all along Booger McFarland should just be in the booth. I think what will happen next year is the Booger Mobile will be dismantled. It will be sent to the Smithsonian where they will say, why the hell do we want this? Booger McFarland will be put in the booth. The folks at ESPN will praise Booger McFarland and say it's a result of the tremendous work that he's done. And... In order to enhance the broadcast, we're going to have all three guys in the booth. And then after next year, it'll go to a two-man booth, and it'll be Tessator and McFarland. That's my prediction. They won't get rid of Witten after one year. And they'll give him another chance to get better, and maybe he will. 
Stranger things have happened. But it's possible he's got a ceiling on his abilities and he's not going to punch through it. And if that's the case, I think he's gone after two years. Terry Gensler, is it ever too cold to grill? 38 degrees here in York, PA. I don't know. What kind of meat is that? That's a steak there. You got some vegetables up top. Uh, no, it's never too cold to grill. The grill gives you the heat necessary to tolerate being outside. I may grill tonight. I used to have a pergola, which is like a roof that has, you know, no protection against the elements. Now I got a roof over the grill. Oh, I've, I've been out there. I'll be out there. Sean Alvishar, why would the AAF hold a neutral site championship game in Las Vegas, which isn't even an AAF city gambling? Gambling and buzz, plain and simple. El Marco lives. Do you think the NFL was more inclined to move the Mexico game since it was such an eagerly anticipated matchup? Or would Raiders versus Cardinals have been moved too? That's actually a really good question. I think the fact that we had anticipated this game really since it became obvious that both the Chiefs and the Rams were going to be very good this year, I think that that made the NFL more sensitive to the potential impact of a crappy field. I'd like to think the game would have been moved regardless for safety reasons. But I think the NFL was a little more adamant about this one because of the fact that it was the game of the year. Until the Chargers and the Chiefs get together December 13 in Kansas City, which could be game of the year part two because the Chargers could still win that division. Hashtag Jason. Is the Bears Sunday night to early Thanksgiving turnaround the shortest amount of time between games in NFL history? I haven't researched that. Now, here's the thing. They play the Lions on Thursday. They've already played the Lions on Sunday, and I think that makes it easier for the Bears to turn this thing around and be ready to go on Thursday morning. Two years ago, Washington played on Sunday night and then played in the middle afternoon slot on Thursday. Does a few hours make a difference? Reasonable. Look, here's the thing, and this is what I said when I wrote this up. It's a tough spot for the NFL because on one hand, you want to have maximum ratings in prime time, and that's how the Bears and Vikings ended up there instead of Jaguar Steelers. On the other hand, there is a player health and safety issue. And the league makes the decision. The league made its decision. A couple of years ago, I thought after Washington played on Sunday night and then played on Thanksgiving afternoon that that, that would be that. But again, it's up to the league. It's up to the league. And the one thing I've noticed in the past couple of years is that the hue and cry about Thursday night football, it really has diminished. And I don't know whether that's acceptance on the part of the players who don't like it. But I continue to detect a split, at best, 50-50. It may be even more like it than don't like it. Plenty of players like short week football because... The practices leading up to it are less intense, and they'll be even less intense than usual now for the Bears since they've got a shorter turnaround. The Lions are going to be playing at 1 o'clock on Sunday against the Panthers. So, uh, you know, it's even more likely that the Bears will have an easier week. You get an easier week, you play your game, and then you get a, a mini buy on the back end. A lot of players like that. I haven't gone soft on the issue of Thursday night football. But the reality is, for every Richard Sherman who calls it a poop fest, there are a lot of guys who either don't say what they think because their opinion isn't all that controversial, or they come out and say, typically when asked the question about whether they like Thursday Night Football, they like it just fine. So, 
you know, bottom line is the Bears and the Lions know what they're faced with. They'll have a plan for dealing with it. I saw today the Lions were just doing a walkthrough Wednesday because they anticipate a tough game against a desperate Panthers team that had extra days to get ready for Sunday's game before the Lions have to turn it around. And almost every team has to do a short week game now. There are a couple that get exempt, but that's just, look, the NFLPA has allowed for it to happen, which means the players have allowed for it to happen. It leads to more money for everyone, and everyone knows going in. No one is ever surprised. No team finds out, you know, the day before that they're going to play a game on a short week basis. All these things can be planned, and all these teams have the opportunity, fair opportunity, to do what they have to do to ensure that their guys are ready. Terry Gensler, 14. What are the chances Baltimore starts RG3 over Lamar Jackson if Joe Flacco can't go? It looks like there's a chance it'll be RG3. I think if it is RG3, we'd see a lot more Lamar Jackson package. A lot more use of Lamar Jackson. A lot more Lamar Jackson taking snaps. That's what I'd do. I'd just use both guys. Because that would put more pressure on the defense. And I'd want the defense to think I'm going to use both guys. Bored to death, would you rather have sole ownership of the record of consecutive games with 100 yards receiving or have a miracle touchdown catch in a divisional playoff game? I know Thielen doesn't own the record, but I thought it was a fun question. No, Thielen has that record tied with Calvin Johnson. I'd I'd rather have the miracle touchdown catch in a playoff game. I, I think that between Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, I think that Diggs is the guy who, who's going to be more likely years from now. I, that's a, you know, I don't want to say that because Thielen's a local kid, right? But, but Thielen was going to be an important part of the local history and warm and fuzzy feelings about the Vikings, even without the streak of 100-yard games. That didn't do it for him. He already had defied odds and ingratiated himself to the Viking fan base and would would be part of the permanent team culture. But that Diggs moment's never going away. Every time I fly into and out of Pittsburgh, I see the statue, very lifelike statue of, and it's not really a statue. It's, I mean, it's like a mannequin in full Steeler uniform of Frank O'Harris making the Immaculate Reception all these years later. And, and if the Vikings can't, because the Steelers lost the next week too, just like the Vikings did. Steelers lost to the Dolphins the following week in the AFC Championship game. That was the year the Dolphins went undefeated. But two years later, the Steelers won a Super Bowl. See, if in hindsight, that game becomes the moment that the Vikings break through and become a championship team, if they win a Super Bowl, let's say, by 2020, then that Diggs catch will be remembered forever as the moment when the fortunes of a long-suffering team change. Because for the Steelers, they'd gone 42 years without a championship. They'd been horrible. The moment that you look back to in the early 70s when everything changed for the Steelers wasn't the first Super Bowl win. It was the Immaculate Reception, even though they lost the following week. So I guess to finally answer the question, I'd rather have that on my resume, especially if the Vikings are going to get it together and end up winning a Super Bowl. Sean Alvishar, could the NFL be liable if a player was injured due to field conditions in Mexico City? Since the league had no prior knowledge, the surface was substandard. I, I, I mean, everything is spelled out under the CBA. 
and there are rights and responsibilities under the CBA. And I think the NFLPA activated their rights to insist on the game being moved. So I think it's one of the reasons it was moved. It wouldn't be necessarily a court filing. It would be a grievance under the CBA. But it didn't come to that. And I think that's one of the reasons why the NFL moved it, because they didn't want it to come to that. On tour forever, at what point during the fall, winter, do you give up on barbecuing outside? Is it that time yet in West Virginia? It's another barbecuing. You know, our pool's still open because we have a we have a uh, the system where it like the leaves go in, they go down, and they get sucked into something, and then it gets cleaned out. And, and the, the pools still look really nice. Not that anyone's been in them the last two months, but yeah, the pool's still open. So I guess the the barbecue's still on. If you're willing to wear a coat until the barbecue grill heats up enough that you can stand there comfortably. We, we had sausage on Friday night, uh, cooked some bacon on the grill Friday night as well. And, uh, you know, every once in a while I get a craving for a steak and, uh, you know, maybe that, that night will be tonight. At the Real Forno, it was mentioned on PFT Live this morning that Marvin Lewis will likely revert back to the Mike Zimmer defense. Wouldn't he be more likely to keep what Terrell Austin was doing since he is also a Ravens defense disciple? I Look, I don't know what Marvin Lewis is ultimately going to do. Chris Sims has been explaining that Terrell Austin's brought in a different defense than the one that they had previously been using. The question becomes, what do they do now? And nobody knows. Nobody knows. But, you know, ultimately the best coaches take the players they have and they use the best schemes and plays to get the most out of their players' talents and abilities. And Chris's concern was when you change the defense in one offseason, you may not have enough players that you can add who can come in and run it the way you want to run it. And I never liked that anyway. I think the system every year should be the system that suits the players that we have. Sean Alvishar, why wouldn't Vince McMahon try to lock up Le'Veon Bell with a big money contract for the XFL? If Bell only views football as a job and the money is right, wouldn't he be perfect for McMahon to help sell the new league? Well, first of all, he wouldn't play football until February of 2020. I don't think either of these leagues, the AAF or the XFL, is going to financially extend itself that way. I don't think that's going to happen. That's the quickest way to bankruptcy. Now, if it ends up being wildly popular, then maybe that's an alternative. But I I really don't think that you're going to see a USFL style or remember the WFL. I may be the only one old enough here to remember that in the early 70s. I don't think there's going to be a situation like that. It's fun to talk about and think about, but I don't think it's going to happen. On tour forever, now that Le'Veon Bell has laid out the blueprint for escaping the franchise tag, what players could follow his lead in the near future? The first guy I'm thinking of is Demarcus Lawrence. Non-quarterback, Lawrence is in the first year of his tag at 17.1. Next year, his options will be, let me let me get this number right. His options will be, do a long-term deal, take $20.5 million for the second year of his franchise tag, or sit out the entire year under the franchise tag and hit the open market in 2020. That's now a viable option because the Cowboys in 2020 would have to pay him the average of the five highest paid quarterbacks in the league to tag him for a third time. Now he'd be given up 20.5 million, but this is the cost benefit analysis. You give up 20.5, you avoid a year and tear of a year of wear and tear and injury risk. And you go to the market next year, and that's why it's important to figure out what may be behind door number two before you completely give up on door number one. That's a lot of money, though. 20.5, that's a lot of money. See, I think this fits with running backs more than anyone else because of the pounding they take and because of the money they make relative to the uh, you know, the, the position they play. 
What else do we have here? Terry Gensler, 14. Who's more likely to be back as their team's starting quarterback next year? Ryan Tannehill, Blake Bortles, or Joe Flacco? I'd say of the three, Tannehill's the most likely because Adam Gase still seems to be sold on him. I think of the of the three, him. Terry Gensler, 14. Do you find it odd that all AFC East teams are on buys this week? That is kind of odd. And I guess maybe it just kind of happened that way. The thing about the buys this week that really caught my attention, and I hadn't thought of it until the Mexico City relocation. Usually all of the buys are done by the weekend before Thanksgiving. But the Rams and the Chiefs are on a bye next week. And it really makes me wonder, did the NFL want to have an ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card in the event that they got to Mexico City and they realized we just can't do this, so we postpone the game until Sunday and we play it in L.A.? They avoided that, obviously. But why? Because if if the both teams had already had their buys like every other team except the six that are going to be on a bye this weekend... There's no way you could have made up the game. This works out perfectly. Well, we just bump it the next week. They both are on their bye after this. That's what I found intriguing, far more intriguing than all of the AFC East teams being on a bye this week. On tour forever, how worried should Patriots fans be about the succession plan or lack thereof after Tom Brady? There's no young quarterback on the roster ready to step in in case of injury. Well, Brian Hoyer would take over if something would happen, but... You know, the Patriots, I assume, evaluated the quarterbacks who were available. They could have had Lamar Jackson this year. They chose not to. They could have traded up for Josh Rosen. They chose not to. They could have tried to trade up for Josh Allen. They chose not to. I think Baker Mayfield was the only player that they had serious interest in. And I think Bill Belichick, in evaluating this year's quarterback crop, thinking ahead to next year, thinking ahead to the year after, doing some advanced scouting of who's going to be available, the question becomes how long is Tom Brady going to be around? He's under contract through 2019. It gets very interesting after 2019. It could get very interesting after 2018. MDS raised the point earlier today about Tom Brady's stats dropping relative to other quarterbacks. Is that a sign of a decline? Maybe it is. Maybe the end doesn't come suddenly for Tom Brady. Maybe it comes gradually. Maybe he fades as an upper echelon quarterback. He's got $5 million tied up in being top five in Five major categories, a million each. That's how they were going to get him paid in line with other quarterbacks, even though the other quarterbacks are Case Keenum and Blake Bortles. So, I don't know. Are we seeing the beginning of the end? Is it imperative that the Patriots draft a quarterback? And then they have to worry about sitting tight wherever they end up in the pecking order in round one because someone's going to jump you and take that quarterback that they think you want. They almost have to trade up to get a quarterback. Because they have to spring up to a spot on the clock in that moment to get the guy they want. Or they may not get the guy they want. Terry Gensler, 14. Which season is an outlier for Philadelphia this year or last? I, I don't think, I don't, I don't know that I would call either one an outlier. I think this year is the normal reaction and response to winning a Super Bowl that no one expected you to win. You do a little victory lap. Rubber chicken circuit, feeling good about yourself, maybe not working out as hard, resting on your laurels, reflecting on a special season, and then trying to muster the will to dig out of the valley of zero and zero and do it all over again when every other team wants nothing more than to kick your ass. Every week, they're getting the best that every team has. 
So what they did last year was special. I was on WIP in Philadelphia right before we did this, and we talked about that. And I think with Doug Peterson, the coach of the team, he's kind of groping in the dark, looking for the right talking point to bring back the magic from last year. The reality is the magic from last year is not coming back. There may be some new set of magic that pops up, but last year's magic ain't coming back for the Eagles. One more loss, and they'll match their to- they'll double their total losses from last year. At the Real Forno, any chance we get a couple of Fridays with A-Flow when he's on break from school? I think next week there may be one or two. He'll be home. There may be one or two. At Fittison Kane, is the recent lethargy about the Saints and Chiefs wins due to the recent high-powered offense slash less-than-stellar defenses crashing hard in the postseason, i.e. 13 Broncos, 16 Falcons? I, I don't think that that's the case. I just think that we quickly get to a point when a team has established that it is a great offense that we just kind of shrug like Mahomes. Oh, oh, five touchdowns. Oh, okay. 37, 21. Okay. You know, excellence begets complacency in the eyes of those who are observing it. You're looking at a, a, you know, a great painting. How long can you look at it? I went to the grand Canyon once buddy of mine after five minutes said, okay, let's go. Well, why? This is one of the wonders of the world. Well, how long can you look at it? We see it. We just going to keep looking at it. So, you know, with a great offense. Now, if you're a fan of the team, you enjoy it. If you have players on that team, on your fantasy team, you enjoy it. But we just kind of like, yeah, okay. They're great. Okay, we got that one figured out. Now let's figure out the rest of the NFL. Because the rest of the NFL we can't figure out. We can kind of, you know, you've got the two categories in the NFL. Stuff you figured out versus stuff you haven't. And the stuff you've figured out is a very small subset of the stuff you haven't. So if we can move a couple pieces like the Saints and the Chiefs into the stuff we've figured out, then we can try to figure out the stuff we haven't. I, I think that's what accounts for the, the media complacency about the Chiefs and the Saints. We've got them figured out. We're going to spend our time trying to figure out the rest of this crap. Terry Gensler, 14, with the contract restructuring of Fletcher Cox, making more money available under the 2019 cap. Will the Eagles attempt to go after Le'Veon Bell, even with other teams having much more cap space? Well, you know, the cap space they created this year can be carried over to next year as well. They got the Carson Wentz contract they have to be thinking about. If they really want to go after Le'Veon Bell, though, they can pull it off. They can do it. At the Real Forno, when Le'Veon signs his next contract, do you think he will take a little less guaranteed for the highest total value? I don't know what he'll do. But he's going to be in the unique position of setting the terms, right? Kirk Cousins got three years fully guaranteed. If I'm Le'Veon Bell, I want three years fully guaranteed. If I'm Le'Veon Bell, you know what I want? I want three years, $60 million fully guaranteed. That's what I'm asking for. Do I get it? I don't know. I want three years, $60 million fully guaranteed. And maybe I'll settle for three years, 54 fully guaranteed. And, and think, about, think about it that way. $18 million a year for Case Keenum. I think I said this yesterday. 18 million a year for Case Keenum, 19 million a year for Blake Bortles. You're not taking Le'Veon Bell at 18 million? Really? When somebody's paying Case Keenum 18, you're not taking Le'Veon at 18 if you can get him at 18? So, three years, somewhere between 54 and 60. I should, I, you know what? That may, I'm, I want to think about it a little bit more. That may be my official prediction. Le'Veon Bell. Three years, somewhere between 54 and 60 million. I got I to gotta percolate that a little bit more. Gong Show West. Oh, don't make me reflect on Thanksgiving and then I'm going to get verklempt. What were Thanksgivings like at the Florio household when you were a young boy? And what are Thanksgiving like now? 
with your own family. Do I, is this really the time to do this? I really don't want to do this now. Can we do it next week? All right, let me talk about it a little bit. Thanksgiving when I was a kid, I lived in a three-bedroom house that had an extra little den that had a fold-out couch in it. Lower middle class, although we didn't realize we were lower middle class. Um, Floodplain, which meant once a year we had to take everything out of the basement, whether or not it filled up with water. That was just a matter of, of serendipity. But getting up at three in the morning and having to take all the stuff from the basement, moving it up to the first floor was just the price you paid to live in a floodplain in the 1970s in Wheeling, West Virginia. But Thanksgiving typically consisted of grandparents coming over, right? Help help grandma up the steps. That was always my job, help grandma up the steps. And when I was old enough to drive, I think I was the one that had to go pick up grandma and pap. Typically an aunt or an uncle would show up. It wasn't a huge, it wasn't a house full of people. I had one sibling and she got married in 81, 82. So then it was, you know, it was her husband as well. And then they had kids a few years after that. And it was always a fairly small group. You know, if it was eight people, it was a ton. And, uh, you, you know, you, you, you get up early and probably played a little football either out back or down the street and, uh, watch some football and, uh, ate some food and watched some more football and, uh, you know, ate some more food and, uh, and that was pretty much that, right? I mean, the, the traditions of Thanksgiving have not changed very much over the years. Now, now um, the house is slightly bigger than, than three bedrooms and a, and a room with a fold-out couch in it and shag carpet. That's for damn sure. And I don't make any apologies for that. I mean, I've busted my ass over the years, and we've had a reasonable amount of success. So, you know, we have a house that is a gathering space for many family members. The over-under for Thanksgiving, well, I don't, I, I don't know... Uh, the Thanksgiving crowd and the Christmas crowd, sometimes it's different. My wife's responsible for all of that. They'll, we'll probably have 20 for Thanksgiving. Christmas will be more like 40, like to the point where extra tables are set up and it looks like you're in like a, at, a, at a restaurant. I mean, there's it, a big space that we have in the house for that kind of entertaining. And, and uh, the Christmas will be uh, very, very special. Thanksgiving will be nice. It'll be very nice. And I'll be home for it, which is nice. I haven't had to travel on Thanksgiving, even though we have Thanksgiving games on NBC, which is extremely nice. This year, I don't even think I'll be on call for the, the pregame show, which is incredibly great, which means I can you know, drink a glass of wine or two before 8 p.m. because I had to have my wits about me in the event that something crazy happened in the early games and they wanted to put me on camera. This year, I don't even think there's a pregame show originating at the studio. It originates at the game site, Saints at Falcons or is it Falcons? It's Falcons at Saints. So anyway, it really hasn't changed. I mean, the house changes, the number of people change, the family changes, but it's really the same thing. It's about being with the people that you are closest to. It is about reflecting on the things that you have, uh, reflecting on the things that have happened maybe since the last Thanksgiving, good, bad, or otherwise, and, uh, you know, eating a shitload of food and being physically miserable for the rest of the day because uh, your pants don't fit anymore. I mean, that's kind of how it goes. I, that wasn't that bad. That I, I thought I was going to get upset, but Christmas is more... Christmas will have... Don't ask me that question a month from now. Let's just leave it at that. 
Reverend Markworth, how often does one of the PFT writers work up a story and then you or MDS kill it instead of putting it on the site? You know, I, I, I wish I could give a really dramatic answer about arguments we get into and yelling and screaming and how dare you not run my story. Here's what happens. I am blessed with having a group of people who have good common sense. And if anyone thinks that they are working on a story or, or proposing to work on a story that potentially could be problematic, potentially go farther than what we want it to, potentially deal with an irrelevant subject matter or something that's going to open us up to criticism for not sticking to football, whatever it may be. I'm blessed to have a, a crew of writers who will know when to flag and say, should we be writing about this? We've never, I've never had a story under the current crew that there was one story years ago. It was like, oh, I can't believe you'd write that without checking with me first. That never happens now. Now watch, it's going to happen this week. But I've never had that with the current complement of MDS, Josh Alper, Darren Gant, Shereen Williams, Curtis Crabtree. I've never had that happen where I see a story and I say, what in the hell were they thinking? So everyone's, everyone's uh, sensor is calibrated. We're all on the same page. And I've never had to say with this group, you got to take that down. And even like I, I, there was one other time where it was just an, uh, just a story that, that just wasn't very advantageous. I can't even remember all the specifics, but I remember thinking, God, why'd you do that? But even then it's like, what am I going to do? It's out there. Once it's out there, it's out there. And I think you do more damage if you try to run from it than if you just embrace it and own it. At the Real Forno, could the NFL change their TV deals by letting each individual viewer select the game they want to watch when they first change the channel to Fox or CBS? I don't know how that would work. I, 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 I did like a la carte option that you would stream. I think it's more likely that you would have a streaming option where you can pick which game you want instead of having to engage in the inherent antitrust violation and order the entire season. I, I, there's been litigation about that Sunday ticket approach. I don't know how the NFL and... DirecTV get away with forcing you to buy everything. You shouldn't have to buy everything. You should be able to buy it one week at a time. You should be able to buy it one game at a time. And I don't know why they don't sell it that way. I mean, you charge a higher price. Charge 50 bucks to watch, you know, if you want to watch Steelers Bengals and you live in Topeka. If it, if it costs 50 bucks, it costs 50 bucks. If you want to buy it, you buy it. You set the price point and you go from there. See, they'd rather get three, 400, whatever it is out of everyone, they've, I'm sure they've done the market research. They've done the surveys, the focus groups, and they've decided it's better to just tell everyone, if you want access to this, you got to buy the whole package that they're going to make more money that way than if they let people pick and choose. And also remember this, if you sell someone Sunday ticket, you only have to sell them once, especially if you have automatic renewal. If you're selling individual games, you got to sell them every Sunday. So I think that's why they do it, even though I still think there's an antitrust violation buried in there somewhere. Valley Man 12, should the NFL be focusing on giving the London full season variety pack of games instead of relocating a franchise there? I don't know how focused the NFL is on putting a team there. I think if the Jaguars want to do it, the league would let them. I think until then, they should work toward having eight regular season games with a variety of teams. And, and then you get the simulation of having a team there. You just get, hey, hey, you get different teams. You get to see different teams. And would, wouldn't people in Cleveland rather see different teams? Ah, Cleveland doesn't count anymore. Wouldn't people in Oakland rather see different teams right now than the team that shows up every week? 
Terry Gensler, 14, if you're the Bills, do you stick with Matt Barkley until he plays his way out of starting just to protect Josh Allen a little longer? I don't know. I think you're trying to win games. If your guy's healthy, you put him back on the field. On tour forever, does the NFL have any say or influence on what other events take place in stadiums prior to NFL games? Can't the NFL just say we're not going to play unless you potentially keep potentially damaging events off the field like concerts? I, I don't think that that's the case. I think it's more along the lines of saying you better have a damn good surface. You better have field turf if you're going to do all this stuff. If you're going to play a bunch of football games, put in field turf. And I think it's case by case, team by team. But for the international games, I think it's fair to say to to the, the folks in Mexico City, London, wherever they're going to play these games, look, here are the rules. You got to turn the stadium over to us four weeks in advance so we can make sure that the surface is acceptable, period. At the C.J. Newman, when will we hear something about the collusion case? I think the hearing is going to start before the end of the year, the Colin Kaepernick collusion case. At the C.J. Newman, do you reverse sear your stake? I don't know what that is, so I guess the answer is no. At the C.J. Newman, best middle linebacker in history, I'd probably go Dick Butkus just because what a name. That's high-level analysis. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think about that one. I'd have to research a little bit. I'd want to factor other people's opinions that I respect into that one. Mike Singletary was special. Ray Lewis was special despite his off-field flaws. A lot of great middle linebackers over the years. Hard to pick the best one without thinking it through a little bit. I should probably wrap this up. Been going for an hour. And what else do we have here? Just I'm, I'm looking to see if I... I've gotten to the end of the list. Here's a question from At The Real Forno. As a general manager, would you rather have Danielle Hunter at $14.2 million or Khalil Mack at $23 million? I'd probably rather have Danielle Hunter. Guy's still fairly young. He's got a sack in every game except one this year. I'd rather have the $9 million to address other positions with. And if I'm the Bears, I'd rather have Danielle Hunter at $14 million and all my draft picks. They had to give up some significant draft picks. Jimmy Creamers, how come the Manningham is still quarterback for the Giants? Hey, he played well enough the other night. Hey, Giants fans, this guy may play well enough down the stretch that you get him for another year. All right, I think that's everything. Thanks for joining. I, I, I like to go out with a bang. There wasn't much of a bang today. Sorry. But uh, thank you. In, in lieu of going out with a bang, let me say a heartfelt thank you for your ongoing patronage of the PFTPM podcast. I never quite know where this thing is going. I like doing it with my son, and maybe next week we'll we'll have a couple of these. But, I, you know, I, I just, I like, I can do it three times a week during the season. I've explained this earlier. Out of the season, when there isn't that constant level of activity and game picks and videos and power rankings and travel on the weekends, I, I, I get the itch to do it more often. But, you know, we'll see where it goes. That we've got a good solid nucleus of people who listen to it on a regular basis. Would I like it to find a broader audience? Sure, I would. I, part of me likes the fact that this is kind of our own little secret. Although I think we always, we we always want the things we spend our time on to be listened to and or read by as many people as possible. But you now we're, we're look. I'd like to come up with some ways to make it better. But for now, 
this is a nice little outlet for me to talk about things that I can't fit within the three hours that we do PFT Live every day. I can address the things that came up during the course of the day. I can answer your questions. And a lot of times your questions give me ideas for things I can write about. Like yesterday, the, the notion that there hasn't been a lead change in a single Washington game this year. I, I wrote a post on that. So there is value in it for me. I appreciate it very much. I hope there's value in it for you. We'll try to do it tomorrow. I'll keep you posted on Twitter as to whether or not we're going to do it. And off we go. Thanks as always for your time. We'll talk again soon. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.